This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is just one reality. We've always known that had to be true, right? You can't have multiple realities. But throughout modern history, we've accepted the notion that both modern science and Christianity were telling us some version of the truth. We're coming now to realize that neither, of course, has it right. Each has a perspective that lets us get a little closer to understanding the one reality that neither of them really fully comprehends. Both are belief systems. That's true of science as well as, as it's true of religions. But when we get beyond all beliefs and approach reality open-mindedly, what we begin to see is a reality that's more wonderful than our best imaginings. Its greatest fruit is this. We now know for certain that you are an eternal being. You're eternal. You never began and you never will end. And really knowing that and living by that truth changes everything. Our guest this week is Mark Ireland. He's a man who, like some of our other guests, lost a child and he needed to find solutions and he went into it to a depth which you're going to find extraordinary and wonderful. His earlier book is Soul Shift, which is a wonderfully life-affirming look at eternal life and he has a new book out coming out on Tuesday the 10th, which is this coming Tuesday. I know nothing about it, so I'm going to get to discover it just as you do. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Roberta. I'm glad you had me here. Thanks. I, I am so delighted to have you. I should just point out that Mark is going to be one of the wonderful presenters at the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies conference in July, July 10th to 13th, 2014 in Scottsdale. The title of this conference, the theme of it is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. And Mark has some wonderful things to share with us there, wonderful and unique things about how people can begin to do their own communication. Um, and th- this is this is a man who I gather, before this all started, this was not a big interest of yours, was it? T- t- tell us about your history a little bit, Mark. Sure. I actually grew up with a father who was a famous psychic medium, um, Dr. Richard Ireland. He was I think well-known. I knew that. Right. Yes, I knew that. Sorry. I knew that. Well-known in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. And he, you know, he was actually a minister of a non-denominational church. Uh, he felt like his gift was from God and was um, something that would be helpful to other people to not only give them direction when they needed a little help, but more importantly to realize that we're more than just a body and a brain. Uh, the soul is something more than that. And, so uh, you always had this going on in your family. You always had a, a history of this this awareness. Well, it goes back in the lineage several generations. I know my, that my great-grandmother also um, had these abilities. She was psychic. and um, But with my father, it was just very strong, and he... He just grew up. It was very natural for him. And um, at the age of five, he was born cross-eyed, and he went in for surgery to correct his eyes. 
at the Columbus, Ohio Children's Hospital at that time. And when he came out of surgery, they had his eyes cupped and bandaged. And they'd actually tied him and restrained him into a bed because they were afraid that he'd mess with the bandages. And a nurse felt sorry for him and said she would let him up if he promised not to tamper with the bandages. And he agreed. She went on about her rounds, and when she came back, he was throwing a ball against the wall and catching it. And she thought he'd removed the bandages, but he hadn't. Oh, so that wow. was kind of an early evidence for my <laughs> grandparents. He was five, you say? Five, yeah. Oh, wow. And then, then the nurse uh, brought this to the attention of some doctors, so they tried some different games with him. They put him into bed, and they'd have one doctor stand at the foot of the bed and another stand at the doorway and call out, and ask who was in front of him trying to trick him, and he, but he always got it right. So that was, uh, but from that point on, it was just, like I said, a very natural thing. And then later on, he, um, he, had, he sat in some development circles and things, and uh, initially went into the spiritualist church organization and uh, had a, a really profound mentor to him at that time, and then later on expanded and did his own thing in terms of having a non-denominational church because he, he really wasn't bound to a specific dogma, um, and he felt like he wanted to have the freedom to, to share the, the truth of what he knew from his own experiences. So, so, so as far so that's, as... You, you grew up with this at the kitchen table then, basically. You always yeah. knew we had this ability. People, there were people who had this ability. Right. So in a, in a way, it was, uh, it was interesting because I grew up with it, but then I kind of took it for granted because of that. Not that I viewed it as a novelty necessarily, but, you know, my father, as years went on, he counseled a lot of celebrities like Mae West, who I got to meet when I was 19, and Amanda Blake, Glenn Ford, David Jansen. I even have a letter from Mamie Eisenhower to my dad congratulating him on marrying my mom in 1956, and it was on behalf of her and the president. Wow. So that, you know, kind of alludes to the possibility that he was counseling them as well. But, um, But despite all that, I... I guess I wanted to be my own person, and when I became an adult, I went to college, got married, had kids, went into the business world, and really became focused on you know worldly achievement and and all those things. And I suppose I just never saw myself being my dad, uh, another version of my dad. So while I respected it and I was comforted by the knowledge of the things I'd seen, I didn't necessarily want to or intend to follow my dad's footsteps. I was kind of setting my own path. So then you so you married, you had children. You have two you had two sons? Correct. Stephen and, and Brandon. And um what happened to Brandon? So it was January tenth, uh, two thousand and four. Um I had been gone all week on a business trip and when I got back on Friday night I went into straight to his room for some reason. And I figured, you know, usually he'd be out at the movies or whatever, but he was sitting in bed watching T V kind of propped up in the bed, and I just walked over to him and gave him a big hug. And we didn't even say a word, but it was like a a homecoming feeling, which I'm glad we had that. The very next morning, he had mentioned to me that he had intended to go on a hike on the McDowell Mountains in Scottsdale, which were behind my home. And for some reason, I felt really uneasy about it. Now, I suppose I worry as much as any parent, but this was a little bit different. And I sat down later that morning at my computer and I almost felt a presence around me, and I just felt like this could be bad. And I was, you know, I felt pushed to ask him not to go, which I did. But you know, he was 18 years old at the time too. And I, it was a windy day, and I said, Brandon, please don't go today. It's too windy. 
and he said, we're going, Dad, like, you warrior. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know how and, kids uh, are. Yeah. Lord. And then later that day, we we were across town, and I had left a note on the counter in the kitchen to ask him to call me when he got back home. And later in the day, my phone rang, and I thought, oh, good, he's calling. Well, it wasn't him. It was my other son, who was at work at the time, Stephen. Stephen's two years older than Brandon. And Stephen had been receiving calls from some of the other boys that Brandon had been hiking with and indicating that Brandon was struggling. He had been passing out, was having difficulties. They didn't know what was wrong with him. And they had tried to call us at the house, but we weren't there. So I had then called one of the boys and got kind of a, a rough idea of what was happening. And I was able to, their service was intermittent, so they really couldn't get to people for help. So I called uh, the authorities and asked for them to send a helicopter up and, by the time we got to the base of the mountain, which is very close to our home, um, I saw a fire truck and ambulance. There was a helicopter and probably a hundred people out there mulling around. And then uh, I went to one of the policemen and told him who I was, and then he introduced me to a chaplain, and that immediately oh, um, made my heart sink. And it was within a very short period of time that we had learned that Brandon had passed. Initially, didn't know what the cause of death was. I talked to his best friend. The authorities wouldn't speculate, but his best friend Stu said that uh, Brandon had been um, noting that he felt like his heart was beating rapidly and his limbs were going kind of numb. And um, so it was a couple days later. I talked to my uncle Robert. Now, by this time, my dad had passed, but my uncle Robert had similar abilities to my father. And um, he called me and he said, uh, "Mark." I want you to know um, that I tried last night to connect, but I, I didn't get anything. But this morning I was doing my meditation, and your dad came to me, and he said that um, when Brandon first left his body, he was confused, but your dad helped him adjust, and he wanted you to know you're the best parents he ever could have had, which oh. is something we all want to hear. But in yes. addition, he told me the cause of death before the autopsy was conducted, and he said that your dad said that Brandon's blood oxygen levels dipped to a point where his heart failed. Three days later, I talked to the physician who had conducted the autopsy, and she indicated that Brandon had died from a severe asthma attack that caused his oxygen levels to dip to a point where his heart failed. So that was the first in a series of affirmations I got. I guess the piece of evidence along with the personal message was a, was a great combination for my family and, and our friends and very comforting. So, so all right, um, you, you're... <laughs> I remember reading that story now. Um, it was really very gripping in, in the book. Um, you were very, obviously very troubled. Did you immediately start to try to find a way to connect with Brandon? I did. Um, so the first thing was the message from my uncle. But within a matter of the first few days, too, I wanted my own direct connection. I'd never really tried that before. I'd had spontaneous psychic things come to me in the past, but I'd never really worked on it or focused on it. So I actually went into my closet, turned off the light, and sat down with the, the intention of connecting or getting some sort of communication with my son, Brandon. And within a short period of time, I saw his face um, smiling like it was joyful, and it was like scrolling across the inside of my forehead like it was a movie screen, I guess, and that's kind of how my dad described his abilities. Huh. And then fo following that was a cross with a loop at the top, and I'd seen those before, but I really didn't know what they stood for, what, what it meant. And so I Googled it and found out that it's the Ankh, which is the oldest cross of human history, and the bottom yes. portion means physical life, and the loop at the top means eternal life. 
So I felt that was very impactful because it gave me something I didn't know that I had to go research to find the meaning out. Um, because I have a little bit of skeptical nature, <laughs> it, yeah. it made me not question myself. And I, I could say, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, I got something that I didn't know. I had to look up what it meant, and, and it meant that my son was joyful, and he was living on. After that, um, you know, I had a series of meetings with different mediums. The first, I guess the next thing that was rather profound was um, about three to four weeks after Brandon passed, I was watching the Channel 12 News here in Phoenix. It's the NBC affiliate, and they were showing information about a study that was being done at the University of Arizona at the time on mediumship. And uh, they showed a clip with a medium who was Allison Dubois, who was an unknown at the time, doing a blind reading for someone. And basically they had her position where she couldn't see or hear the sitter, and the sitter sat behind, and uh, Allison just had to share a lot of information. She was asked a series of questions. She was uh, giving information pertaining to the deceased person, and then afterward they showed a little review of it with the sitter who confirmed the accuracy of it. And it was very specific stuff. It wasn't like very general. It was specific and accurate information. So I was but this impressed. was Gary Schwartz's study, right? That, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. We've we've had him on a couple of times. He's also going to be at the conference in July. Um, in his book, in case anyone wants to read about all these experiments, which are extraordinary, um, his book is the Afterlife Experiments. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure people knew that that connection. He's been on, I think, twice on our show. So after seeing that, I thought, wow, I would love to get a reading from Allison, and I'd love to be in that in that lab. And both things happened. <laughs> uh, the very next day, talk about synchronicity, the very next day after seeing this clip, I get a call from an old friend of my father's named Jerry Concer, who lives in Dallas. And he said, Mark, I know what you've been through. I know someone who might be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois. And uh, wow. here's, here's a phone number you can call to try and get an appointment with her. Oh, and so I did that. That was your dad probably intervening. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and then, you know, a short time later, I ended up, meeting Gary, and I ended up uh, being selected as a sitter for an experiment with a medium, Lori Campbell, in February of 2005, and that was actually filmed for Discovery Channel, and there's a clip of it. There's a link to a clip of that on my website. What, what is your website? It's markirelandauthor.com. Mark okay, with a K, easy. Ireland like the country, author.com. Easy and no punctuation. Right, just all letters. Yeah, that's great. Okay, good. All right, so that turned out well? Yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, you know, Lori did a great job. Again, I was in that same situation where it was a single blind reading. I sat behind her. She couldn't see me, and I wasn't allowed to speak to her. And then she was asked a series of questions and gave answers, and some of the hits were quite remarkable. You know, one thing, she was asked how my son died, and how Brandon died, and um, she said, I feel pressure in my chest. I feel like like my chest like I can't breathe and I feel like I want to throw up. Well, his friend Stu, Brandon's friend Stu, had told me that just before Brandon shut his eyes and passed that he had thrown up. Uh, Lori yeah. also noted that there had been a memorial for Brandon and that she thought it included a plaque and, maybe, and a tree had been planted. And his high school, Sororo High School in Scottsdale, Arizona, had indeed planted a tree. And then there was a he was my son was a bass player, so they uh, one of the students there had made a metal sculpture of a bass guitar, and there was a plaque on it with his name. 
and then an inscription from one of the, a Pink Floyd song that because he, he loved Pink Floyd, and it was from the song "Breathe." Ironically, wow, really. And there were a number of other affirmations she gave. One one was quite startling. He, she was asked, "How would the sitter know that you're actually contacting Brandon?" And she said, "Well, I feel like the person behind me is writing a book, and it's but and it's about him. It's about the deceased, about Brandon." Um, and there's no way she could have known that. And I was, in fact, working on Soul Shift at the time. Wow. Well, we're we're going to hear about a couple of other things that you've done. Uh, your your father's book that you brought to fruition. Then we're going to start to talk about what the new book is. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Our guest is the wonderful Mark Ireland, and we're going to be right back. If you've ever wondered why you're here, if you wonder whether God is real, if you wonder why life isn't fair or whether there's life after death, let Roberta Grimes help you learn the joyous truth about your own reality. Roberta has trouble with believing things. She's always wanted to know. So she spent decades studying nearly 200 years of afterlife evidence. In the process, she made some wonderful discoveries about God, reality, and your own eternal nature. The truth is better than your most optimistic hopes. Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Why wonder and worry when at last it's possible to know? When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is cliff notes to 200 years of abundant and consistent afterlife evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Mark Ireland. Now, Mark is going to be one of the presenters at the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies conference in July 10th to 13th, 2014 in Scottsdale. The title of this, or the, to- the, se- the topic of this conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. And Mark has a unique history. His father was a very famous psychic and Apparently, going back in the history of his family, there are psychics, and he has some ability himself uh, until he had this this tragic thing happen, which was his son dying. Now, one of the things Mark said to me on the break um, is that his son was a very old soul. Um, that's you, you, you talk with a lot of people who've lost children, right, Mark? Yes. 
that that's something which is common for people to say about children who die. I've I've even set, seen it said. I don't know if this is true that when people die who are sub adult, they're they're all old souls. They've come as a gift to the family uh, and sometimes to friends as well to to live this brief life, which is a lot of trouble for them, and then to go on early so that they can uh, they don't need to go through what we have to go through. Those of us right. still learning. But but it's a, is, do you subscribe to that as well? Do you find that's probably true? I, I would say. I mean, um, I don't know that there's an empirical way to prove it, but the, the interesting thing is that many of the characteristics that Brandon had, uh, the parents who have read my book will come to me and tell me yeah, their son or daughter was also like that. And when I say like that, I'm talking about someone who is selfless, who's loving and caring, who's not really, doesn't have much of an ego in terms of, they can be themselves, and they don't really worry too much about how people perceive them or what clothes they wear or all those yes. kinds of things. It's just not a worldly-type person, yes. a very creative person, an artistic person who's very easy to be around and who showed a lot of compassion for other people. Um, you know, there were kids that he befriended that no one else would be friends with, uh, unpopular kids, um, and there's a young man who... His mother was very, very worried about that young man at the time because he had been—he was on a swim team and had be kind of uh, had his the backs of his teammates uh, on the swim team were turned against him, and he really didn't have any friends. And he, uh, Brandon, befriended him, and it kind of you know, saved him, if you will. Uh, at least that's the mother's definition. The mother's actually a psychologist, so I think she would know. Wow! Wow! That, it's such a common story. It's. No comfort, really, to parents who lose children, although I think it should be a little bit of a comfort that that, uh, that our lives are all planned, and even lives that turn out from an earthly perspective to be very short and and rather tragically were probably planned that way. Um, well, my, uh, and, Robert Schwartz would definitely agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us now about the, the work that you, you've done since then. Um, you started helping parents heal. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing was, you know, I'd had these after um, I had a series of readings, and um, so that gave me evidence and content for the book Soul Shift. And um, so that book came out, and that kind of spurred a lot of new things for me. I, I made a lot of new contacts, had speaking engagements, had a lot of one-on-one contact with parents who had lost kids and was able to speak with them and help them over the hump. As I told you on the break, I've actually had some parents who were suicidal and I think I had a hand, well, I'm sure I had a hand in helping them not do it, which I feel wow. very good about. Wow, great, and, uh, yeah. About two years ago, um, I, I partnered up with a woman named Elizabeth Boyson. She had founded a, a, a parent support group here in the Phoenix area called um, Parents United in Loss. And so she was having meetings where folks would get together and they'd share and um, help each other. Um, through this process, I kind of discovered these pillars of, of healing. You know, one is having a supportive network of family and friends. Another is being able to talk to and be with other people who've been through the same thing, and that's where this meeting came in. I think also becoming um, providing service to others is kind of a third pillar. And um, But people aren't necessarily ready for that immediately, but when they get healed to the point they are, I think that helps take it to another level. And then the fourth pillar is being open to afterlife evidence. 
And that's where our group really departs from any other group in the country because most of them will not allow for discussion of that, the big ones. Really? Yeah. Um, they won't allow you to get into anything they consider woo-woo or doing with the afterlife. So that's oh, what's unique happens. about our group. And parents, it makes a big difference because oh, parents yeah. that come to our groups, they get better and they get there is a healing process that takes place. And I've seen some other parents who have been in these other organizations going there for 10 years and not really healed because it's, it's more like people wanting to just get the anger off their chest, but they feel more like a victim. And, um, and I understand that, but um, the, the process of healing involves some other things. And if they're not allowed to have access to those, that information or those things that will help them heal, we felt like it was necessary to create something where this was, was available. So I looked at what Elizabeth had built and said, how about if we get together and take this national or even global? And, you know, so I put together a website with resources on it. Uh, we started doing a newsletter. Wait, what's uh, the web she, address? Um, it's, um, I just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> it's helpingparentsheal.info. Or if okay. people go to my website, markirelandauthor.com, there's a link there to it. Great. But, okay. So we put that together, and now we have basically 20 chapters across North America that do the same thing that we do here. So people in you know Texas or California or Georgia, other places, will have have a meeting like this that they can go to, and and have that healing process take place for them as well. Wow, great. It's, it's, it seems to me that the single most valuable thing that any organization can do for parents is to give them the, the proof that the children have survived and are just fine. So I, I find it inexplicable that other organizations don't do that. Well, it, it, it is about the hope, you know. Without the hope, people just don't heal. And I think the other organizations, there, there may be different reasons for that. Some are may be led by people that are more traditional Christians, and they have a closed view of these phenomena. And interesting, I've oh. written a chapter in my new book to address that, because I don't think they really, they don't know the scripture that well, or even the history behind it. To, they're just following this traditional view that's associating psychic phenomena mediumship in a negative light, whereas my father would contend, and I do, that many of these the miracle stories in Scripture are actually a byproduct of these phenomena. So right. they're, they're the most yes. affirming things to validate some things in Scripture, but yet they're... So I think that's part of the reason why this, these organizations won't do that. But also I think they don't want to go down that path because it might be viewed um, in a light that they don't want to be associated with, or they they just think it's too sticky. It, it's funny because the, one of the single most valuable things that anyone who's interested in helping people can do, I believe, is to, is to be open to what reality is. That's why, I, that's why that's what I called my show, Seek Reality, because to, to try to help people from their perspective, but to, but to have a belief system get in the way of, of helping people understand the truth strikes me as so counterproductive. It is a little scary to come out. I mean, I'm a traditional attorney. I could not, to the world, I could not seem more traditional. And when I had to come out to my clients that I had written a book called The Fun of Dying, that was a little scary. I thought I'd lose my clients. I lost none. I lost no clients. Probably two-thirds of them thought it was interesting. Some of them read the book. About a third of them just went right on to talk about their legal stuff. They didn't want to know about it. I, so I have an embarrassing secret. I told it. Now let's talk about something else. But um, 
more more people have got to do what you've done and you know what I'm trying to do which is to say you know this is this is the truth we're all walking past the truth it's as if the emperor doesn't have any clothes on and we're still pretending there are clothes there right. neither religion nor science people... will will show us what's what's true i'm sorry go ahead oh no i i was just agreeing that people they have a, each person has their own worldview and oftentimes that part of that foundation is what they've learned in their upbringing, whether it be a religious perspective or if they've gone down the academic path and they've become ultra-science-minded. Some of them, you know, there's a difference between the scientific method, which explores possibilities and helps us learn things, and scientism, which is basically a doctrine of <laughs> chaos and meaningless in our lives, that everything's just an accident and we're nothing more than a body and a brain. That's kind of the philosophy behind that. Um, atheism is its fundamental yeah. pillar. Yeah, it is. Right. It, it's a secular humanistic atheism. Um, they they, they call it the fundamental dogma. Do you know that? That's the fundamental dogma is atheism. Anything that has a dogma is a belief system by definition, but that's right. what they call it nonetheless. Very sad. Yeah, but the scientific method, and fortunately there are scientists who do explore beyond that and are open to things, and they're trying their best, like Dr. Rupert Sheldrake in England. But yes. They just get battered and bruised by these folks, so it takes you have to have thick skin. Yeah, or, or Gary Schwartz, who is an irrepressible force, as you know, having met him. Um, I, I, don't, I think you have to just, as you say, have a thick skin and just... I mean, you, he knows he's on the right side of history. There will come a time, and it will be within the next century, that um, everybody will know that these things are true, and they will look with 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 uh, uh, sort of contempt on all the people who've tried to keep the truth from coming out. The truth always will out. So it's quantum mechanics, you know, when you delve into that, you yes. can see there's <laughs> so much there that lines up with this and things we can't yes. explain and just totally alters our view of what we think of as reality because there's obviously an... There's an underlying matrix of some sort there yes. that's behind the scenes. Um, otherwise, the, um, you know, some of the principles that have been validated within quantum mechanics couldn't be true. Or, or wouldn't, what, what, wouldn't. One of the things that's interesting about quantum mechanics is that uh, the very uh, greatest, earliest quantum, uh, quantum physicist, uh, um, Max, Max Planck, Planck who, right, who, who got the Nobel Prize for coming up with the theory, um, they all knew what they had discovered, and there are quotes from them that blow your mind. I, I had uh, there, there's a book called the called uh, Quantum Enigma, which was written by uh, Rosenblumen and Fred Kuttner, who I had on as a guest. And when I gave him some of these quotations, some of them he hadn't heard, he was he was I think supported and reassured and and blown away to some extent. They understood exactly what they had discovered, and yet um, because it, the risked Letting religion be right, although religion's no more right than science is, um, they were they, the whole concept that there might be an energy matrix uh, uh, which underlies it all. That was all shut down. Yeah, it has still it's still shut down. It, yeah, um, you're right because now the modern physicists they're trying to find a way to fit what we actually find into an existing idea or right. theorem, which is <laughs> is not real science. No, it right. It exactly. It's it's because it's a belief system. It's flawed at the start, and if you build your house on sand that way, it is not going to stand. But now let's talk about the book that you found after your father's death, and you you had published. Yeah, this is interesting. Twelve years after my father had died, um, a gentleman that my dad knew came to me and said, "Hey, 
I've got something to give you. And he handed me this manuscript. It was in a box. It was all typed, eight and a half by 11 sheets, and it was, you know, hundreds of pages. It was called Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development. Wow. I, I asked him, I said, well, where did you get that? And he said, well, when your dad was dying, he gave it to me for safekeeping. And now I was out of state at the time. I was living in another state, so that made sense because I wasn't right there for my dad to give it to me. And I said, well, why are you giving this to me now? And he says, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. Well, then it was two weeks later I had that initial reading with Allison Dubois. And one of the first things oh. she said to me is, she said, uh, Mark, your dad's showing me a book, and I believe it's his book, and he's handing oh. it to you. It's for oh, you to wow. take forward. Does that make sense to you? I'm oh, like, my yep, goodness, does it ever. <laughs> so that, that inspired me to get the book published, which I did in 2011. And I wrote a forward to it that included um, some things that I felt needed to be said. And ironically, I later discovered some documents my dad had left behind, and I found them in manila envelopes that where my father talked about the development of psychic phenomena and mediumship as a sacred thing. And when I read what I had already written, it was almost exactly the same thing. So wow, I knew that he so... was kind of speaking through me as I was putting that together, because the forward of the book was basically trying to give the reader an understanding of how my father viewed this and how it was not something to be taken lightly, nor did he want people to try and develop their abilities just so that they could, so it could be as a novel, novelty or to use it for gambling or things like that. What, what's the title of the book? Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development. And it's, it's also on my website, so when people go to markirelandauthor.com, they'll see it there. Wow, that's great. And um, d does it work? <laughs> Have you used his techniques? Yeah, I've read the book through. It's, it's not an easy read, and it's not just something like say, oh, I do A, B, and C, and voila. I think yeah. what you get, and it's a book you read several times. It, you have to almost read it multiple times for it to really sink in. But at the end of the day, I, I would say that some of the techniques have been helpful to me, but I also you have some of my own techniques that maybe be vary from that a little bit. But it, the book actually starts with a history of the subject matter, and it gives a lot of information on the, on the, the um, research that had been done in that era. And it, even though he, he actually finished the book in 1973, it reads like a modern book. Um, and then it goes beyond that into having him talk about his, his process and the levels of psychic um, development and um, meditation methods and how to get information. So... What I really get out of it more than anything is it's you, you've always got it there. It's just we we're so conditioned um, to think the way that we do, and we're so used to dealing with our five senses for information that it's hard to quiet them down enough to, to listen to the subtle information. That's really the core of the book, I'd say, is that you know, he was very adept at being able to shut down and shut out all the noise and chatter uh, that comes through. And Today, I mean, it's worse than ever between, you know, oh, people yeah. having text messages and iPhones and iPads and movies and, you know, we're just very distracted people. And um, you need to set aside quiet time to be able to contemplate and to be able to tap into that. And when you do, though, you know, you'll get information and you'll, you'll feel guided and you'll know you're on your path. There's a lot to the book, and I would say it's not an easy read, but if somebody really is dedicated and they want to develop, I'd say it's a good read and something they want to go through several times. And was it your father's sense that everybody has this latent ability then? 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, he did say that he felt everybody had it. However, there are varying degrees of the ability. So I liken it to sports where you might have somebody with yeah. very limited abil- uh, full c- capability, but they work very hard, so they get to a certain point. Or you could have somebody with a lot of natural ability, but they really don't develop it, so they get to a certain point. But when you have somebody that has the ability and they work on it, they, they become like you know the Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or some superstar within that field. Right. And I think that's what my dad was. He had both elements, and, and, and that's kind of how I see it. Well, when we come back after our, this break, we're going to hear about the new book that Mark is putting out on Tuesday. This is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never begin. You never will end. Therefore, learning the truth really is important, don't you think, in making the most of what that you can of this lifetime. Our guest today is Mark Ireland, and we'll be right back. If you've ever wondered why you're here, if you wonder whether God is real, if you wonder why life isn't fair or whether there's life after death, let Roberta Grimes help you learn the joyous truth about your own reality. Roberta has trouble with believing things. She's always wanted to know. So she spent decades studying nearly 200 years of afterlife evidence. In the process, she made some wonderful discoveries about God, reality, and your own eternal nature. The truth is better than your most optimistic hopes. Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Why wonder and worry when at last it's possible to know? When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Mark Ireland, who finally is now going to tell us about his new book. On Tuesday, I guess we're hoping people won't order before Tuesday, because uh, if everyone orders on the same day, we'll drive up the, the uh, uh, bestseller ranking on this book, and that's what we want to do. So tell us about your book, Mark. Well, I appreciate that. You know, the, my first book, um, Soul Shift, was a memoir. And, and this is interesting because I just actually opened up Soul Shift to um, a page that had to do with a reading I got from an English medium, Linda Williamson. And just here's what she said, um, and this is back in 2004. She said, you're going to be very instrumental in promoting the understanding of this subject. 
but you don't know, quite know how or why yet, do you? They're saying, we just want you to talk to people. You're very receptive to those in spirit, perhaps not to the level you'd like, but they do drop ideas into your mind. They don't have channel communication with you at present, which they would like to have, but they're trying to build it up. So anyhow, it was just interesting to hear her predict that I'd be doing this, and lo and behold, nine years later, here I am. <laughs> but the, the new book, um, the first book was a memoir, and the focus was on the personal journey I had uh, that I embarked on after losing my son Brandon, or after he's passing, because you never really lose him, but you lose him in a physical sense. Yeah. But the new book is called Messages from the Afterlife, and it continues with the personal narrative, and it includes many stories that evidence the afterlife, um, both personal and related to people I know. Um, but beyond that, their message is a more multifaceted book. It endeavors to educate readers about afterlife evidence, especially mediumship. Um, and so you know, one professional reviewer, Jane Catra, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she used the uh -huh. term scholarly book when describing it. And I'd say that there are scholarly chapters within the book. Um, some provocative elements include an examination of psychic medium phenomena through the lens of multiple religious traditions, including some factions that seek to demonize spirit communication. Also, I have a chapter that's a candid expose on debunker-style skepticism. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, and I have, this is, I think, the most intriguing part. It includes a detailed account of an experiment I designed involving a secret message left behind by my now-deceased sister. And um, the contents of the message were unknown to any living person and remained sealed in an envelope, untouched, until I was able to get responses from a, a group of qualified mediums who, whose mission was to decode the contents. Um, and the, the idea behind this uh, experiment was kind of went back to the... Um, Houdini code, when Harry Houdini died, he had right. agreed to a secret code with his wife, and, and a few years later, Arthur Ford actually provided that code, but then skeptics came out of the woodwork and said that was fraudulent for some reason. I don't think they've ever really given good reasons why. <laughs> but, and, um, and yet that, that's entered the, the popular, because I've talked about that, and people insist to me that, the, that no one ever had the code. Yeah, and um, Arthur Ford did decode it, um, but you know, then there were allegations that, oh, it was commonly known, or that oh. um, Houdini's wife was in cahoots with Arthur Ford. So, you know, basically the skeptics ran amok, and then his delivering the message was discredited for, for no good reason, as far as I could see. No, but, no. So I looked at that, and I said, well, what, what's the problem with that experiment? And I came to the conclusion of, that the real problem was that any living person knew what the message was. If you didn't have that, then you couldn't allege either fraud or telepathy with the sitter. So right. my sister and I talked about this. She had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and didn't have long to stay here on the earth. And uh, I felt like this could be something to help other people if we could get have a meaningful experiment or at least learn something from it. And she gladly participated. She wrote a message. She put it into a sealed envelope and handed it to me. I then employed the services of a of a neurosurgeon. Uh, a neurosurgeon, a neuroscientist, Dr. Don Watson, uh, in Kansas, and he helped me facilitate this experiment. I sent the met the sealed envelope to him so that he would be the one opening it later on. I reached out to a bunch of mediums. We got responses, and um, and then a while later we we opened it up and compared. So I don't want to give the whole punchline away. I would say I viewed it as a success, not a verbatim success, but. Um, 
that the gist of her message was brought through. And more importantly, I think we learned a lot from it, uh, that if people look at that and wanted to do other experiments, it might yeah. give them some ideas to work from. Yeah, I, I the, the whole notion that debunking is a good idea is something I've never understood. Um, when I started doing this research, uh, I'm very skeptical. As you say, you are. Surprised growing up as you did that you would be, but um, it's it's healthy to... to uh, I think trust but verify is 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 good good advice, but I read a lot of debunker stuff and it was so intellectually lazy and so puerile. Um, I I was astonished that there was nothing there. There's no there there in debunker work. No, you're right. Um, they're again they're coming from this preconceived notion that that they know the truth, and so yeah. it's not about finding out anything. It's about defending their platform. I just was looking at. <laughs> My book, Soul Shift, on Goodreads. I don't know if you're familiar with Goodreads, but it's like yes. a website for books. And I all the I noticed my ranking or was 4.3 out of 5 stars. And I thought, well, that's not bad. And then I went in there and looked, and there were 20 rankings, and all of them were exceptional, except there was one that gave me one star. And it was a skeptic that wanted to say, psychic isn't real, this is all you know, fake, either people yes. are self-deluded. And he, and he uh, said, read about the James Randi Million Dollar Challenge. That'll tell you. Well, anyone oh. who knows anything about that, it's it's really fluff because it's it's a contest yeah. that's designed where he has total control over the what the experimental design will be and um, whether or not to submit the um, the results if they're positive or not, and the the person who signs up for it has no recourse. So it's really yes. a joke. And I look at that person's rankings, and they had ranked about a number of books, and they were all either on religion or spirituality, and he'd given them all in ones. He'd not yeah, read any of those a, books. Another, another spoiler, another debunker. Um, no, it's it's the, one of the problems people have in uh, being sort of a scientist and coming into this field is that um, the only thing that's real is energy-based consciousness. That's all there is, and everything is derived from that. And it's highly emotional, and it's very much affected by our emotions. Um, so therefore, if you go into doing an experiment uh, in, in this field, and you try to do it the way you would do sort of a clockwork experiment with chemicals and matter and stuff, and you're looking to do a debunking, you're never going to get good results. Right. No. To, ha- well, to, and then to be you a also skeptic, people- right? You, you, it's like it's like putting poison in your own experiment. Your right. mind affects your experiment, and they know that, don't they, Mark? Because of their quantum physics experiments. Well, beyond that, even you have <laughs> then you have cases where a debunker will try and replicate an experiment and ensure that they have bad results. An example of that is Rupert Sheldrake did a experiment on does your dog know when you're coming home? So he basically tested this one dog to see if it could tell when its owner was coming home before there was any physical um, information to let the dog know. In other words, the car was not within range where it could be heard or seen by the dog. Right. And and it was overwhelmingly evident that this one dog, JT, I believe is the dog's name, would go to the window before, just before the, um, the owner came home. And so it was basically, you know, statistically significant. Well, then yes. a, a skeptic in England, uh, Richard Wiseman, said he was going to try and replicate that, and he had actually talked to um, Sheldrake about it and learned more about his protocol. So he set this up, and um, at the end of it, uh, 
Sheldrick saw Wiseman's results. Well, they're identical to his. But then Wiseman went on to call it a failure. And, and so uh, Sheldrick was really curious how this could be. How do you call this a failure? Well, what he had done was he adjusted the, the goals or the measurements after the fact, which is something you never do in a scientific experiment. No, Those have to no. be stated up. The metrics are stated up front, and they don't change. Yeah. Well, he changed yeah. them after the fact to make it look like a failure. So, you know, that just goes, that's not good science. No, or, nor science at all, come to think of it. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I have to say I was discouraged because I kept thinking I would find someone who was actually testing things in an honest and honorable way. I never found one. Have you found anyone who is? Um, well, on the debunker side, no. But that's what, that's it. I mean, it's like that's what they do. Yeah, the, but there are there are other people who have started out to be sort of debunkers, um, and what they when, as soon as they found that hey wait a minute there's something here, they changed. I mean there are a lot of people on that list, um, you know who are famous names now, and some who are totally unknown. What there was one woman who set out to prove that reincarnation didn't happen by regressing groups of people. I can't remember her name now, but um, what she ended up was discovering. Um, that when she did this, people were being reincarnated in such a way and with, with certain kinds of knowledge and certain kinds of facts that she said it was impossible for it not to be real. So she became, what is her name? Lord, I wish I could remember it. Um, but there are several people like that. Even people like, um, even Gary Schwartz initially, uh, he says he was a total skeptic. And then he basically got hit over the head by what he was learning, and and that that's why he started to do the experiments he was he's doing to test reality as opposed to, you know, prove things that are not true. Right, and I, you know, my skepticism really is more toward the individual um, because I knew there are fraudulent people out there. So having had a father that I knew was legitimate and seen that with compelling results time after time in many different ways and forms, I didn't have any question about that or him, but. Other people claiming to be psychic or medium. Hello? Oh, dear. Okay, um, well, let's, I guess we need to wrap then. I'm sorry, folks. Um, my name is Roberta Grimes, and my book is The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next. I'm really sorry. We've just lost our guest, who's the wonderful, wonderful Mark Ireland. Uh, he's going to be um, one of the headliners at the conference in July in Scottsdale, July 10th to 13th, 2014, um, of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies. This is the 39th annual conference um, of the Academy. This is, a, this is one of the oldest and most venerable, and certainly in the United States, um, P- Academy of people who are, in a scholarly way, trying to understand what's really going on. Um, they, have, they do wonderful uh, publications, uh, just a great group of people. And this year, they're investigating afterlife communication because there is so much of it. Afterlife communication is not just for mediums anymore. Um, is is the title of this uh, conference. It's going to be exciting. Um, the website is ASCSI.org. Uh, go there to learn more about Mark and to learn more about the other presenters. Um, Mark has a very interesting history in that he is from a long and venerable uh, history of people who have, family of people who have 
had this ability and his father was famous for having this ability and worked with a president as we learned earlier in the show and um, Mark came then to uh, begin to investigate for himself when he lost his son Brandon at the age of 18 in a tragic way but Brandon um, I'm sure was an advanced being who whose part of whose role was to uh, prompt his father to begin to do this research um, I don't know what okay. happened or what the last thing you heard was, but it just dropped, and I'm on a landline, so it's kind of odd that that happened. It is. It, it's happened to us before, though. I'm so glad you're back. I've been talking about uh, um, you know, all the wonderful things that, that you're doing and how exciting we are. It's going to be really fun to all be together uh, at the conference next July. What's the title of your book? I'm not sure I heard it the first time. It's Messages from the Afterlife. Um, and, okay, the full great. T- and the subtitle is A Bereaved Father's Journey in the World of Spirit Visitations psychic mediums and synchronicity pretty long title huh (laughs) yeah it is well that's good it fits on the page is all we need um and your website is markislandauthor.com that's right and the uh if so all of the things we've talked about today you can learn more about by going to markislandauthor.com and do check out ASCSI. Dot org so that uh, you can learn more about Mark and learn more about the conference next July. Um, next week, our guest for the third time will be Carol Morgan with her son, Mikey, another young man. He died at 20, and he and his mother have been communicating by pendulum. She's also going to be a presenter at that conference, and one of the things she'll do is begin to help us understand how we can use a pendulum. I can't wait to learn how to do that. Um, so, uh, Mark, I'm so glad you were with us. Thank you. This has been a really exciting uh, opportunity for me to get to know more about you and more about your work. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. It, and meanwhile, uh, please, everyone, join us at afterlifeforums.com. We'll talk about all these things. And now go out and enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being and you're infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.